Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Perfect Album Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Kahn. Joining me today is an avid cyclist and cryptocurrency enthusiast, the CEO of Defeat, whose socks have been worn in such places as the Tour de France, and not to mention a fantastic musician and a huge fan of punk music, Shane Cooper. How are you doing? Doing pretty well there, Connor. That's good to hear. I'll let you uh, tell us what album we'll be breaking down today. We're going to be breaking down London Calling by The Clash. That's great to hear. So, The Clash, the London Calling was an album released by The Clash in 1979. It was basically in 1980 because it was released in late December. And the name London Calling actually comes from the BBC call sign during the war when they were doing radio broadcasts. They would announce that this is London Calling. And the album art is just first of all the coloration and the what it looks like it's a riff on elvis presley's self-titled album and it shows uh it's a photo of their bassist about to smash their bass uh off stage after a show it's one of the most well-known album arts of all time and it's very emotive to say the least your thoughts yeah he actually did smash that bass and uh I believe the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has, it's a white Fender P bass, and it's definitely smashed. Um, and to me, that album just brought all the emotion of being a teenager uh, straight front and center. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. The album begins with a fiery start with one of the greatest punk rock songs of all time. It's about all of the ways Joe Strummer heard the, heard the world could end on the news. This was many people's introduction to The Clash. How were you first introduced to it? Good question. Uh, Probably 1980, a junior in high school, uh, maybe a senior, and uh, I think I heard uh, Train in Vain. And then I saw the, 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 used to be this thing called MTV. And MTV had just started, if I recall correctly, uh, the one, a clash came on, and I can't remember what song it was. It may have been London Calling, uh, but definitely I, I remember Train in Vain coming out, and it was an excellent, excellent song. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, so uh, brand new Cadillac, is that <laughs> Yes, yes, it's the <laughs> next song. Brand new Cadillac. Uh, you know, actually, I... And, I am in a cover band, and I play and sing Brand New Cadillac. Wow, really? And uh, it was a, it's a cover song. Mm-hmm. It is. It's just a 12-bar It's a 12-bar blues. blues song. Yeah. So, um, so, Connor, when did you first hear The Clash? So, I... Oh, that is a good question. I've definitely heard them off and on since I've just been... Since I first started listening to music because they're just that important of a band they've been around and they've produced just high caliber music for their entire career but really the first time i took a deep dive into listening to them i listened to i think it was combat rock which is the album they released after this especially their big singles rock the casbah and should i stay or should i go and then that led me to london calling which is far and away my favorite clash album and well, that's interesting you say that because earlier I just said that I saw some MTV action on The Clash, and it was it was the combat rock that I saw. It was Rock the Casbah, and that that was 
after I'd heard Train in Vain, and I didn't even connect the two bands, you know, in my head. It really? didn't sound the same. Yeah, they, they're, uh, they're punk rock, but especially with this album, they really embrace different sounds, they embrace different textures, and a lot of that was because of their producer, which we'll get into later. But after Brand New Cadillac comes Jimmy Jazz, which is potentially the biggest departure from their punk rock roots, which uh, this story tells a story tells uh, the story of a man named Jimmy Jazz on the run from the police. With this departure, they go full ska, complete with a brass ensemble. Slightly tangentially, how have you departed from typical business methods to make defeat successful? What's your X factor? I love this question, and I'm smiling. You You can't see how much I'm smiling, but uh, I started defeat as a punk rocker, and before I I was in a a band uh, when I was your age, and uh, all the way through my early 20s. But when I started Defeat, it was no business plan, and it was just being in the gutter and being a punk rock business. Uh, you know, and it's all, all about uh, guerrilla warfare, basically, and, and being in the trenches. And so guerrilla marketing is what I was able to do from being in a band and, and listening to The Clash of course, I had no respect for the, the big business that was out there. And I just, I went against the grain. I did it my way. And so I started Defeat when I was 29 years old. And I, again, it was, uh, everybody was leaving America in manufacturing because of this thing called NAFTA. Yes. And so I was able to fight that and stay here and, and, and manufacture products in America while everybody was leaving. And all the MDAs that came out of school wanted to go and make products in China. And recently you can see what happened with COVID on the supply chain and what happens when you go that far away. So punk rock uh, gave me the energy to stand up to the man, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and be real. And that's, so that's, that was how I started. That is a great response. Um, that, <laughs> wow. Uh, next up and this just masterful punk album is hateful which it's it's a new record four songs on a classic punk or rock album and this is the first one about drugs they get personified as a friend to joe strummer and they're very well and they're very well there's a very well articulated love and hate relationship depicted in the song did the clash have problems with drugs that you know of like many of their contemporaries wow uh I would say that they they were not as bad as uh, the contemporaries that they were coming from in the punk genre. Uh, I, I do know that I believe the drummer had the worst problem of, of any of them. But, you know, if you think back through rock and roll, you know, from Led Zeppelin to the Beatles, uh, you know, you, you name it all. But when punk rock came around and, you know, from way back from uh, the Ramones and television, you know, the drug use was was dramatically <laughs> in your face and I, I think in my opinion and maybe you'll tell me something I don't know but they clash seem to be on the up and up maybe I I agree there wasn't huge stories like you would hear with uh, I, I mean I guess the best example is the Rolling Stones I don't know how Keith Richards is still alive so <laughs> I, I, I I think I would agree. I'm not too well researched in it, but the fact that there isn't a lot on it kind of proves the point that they weren't junkies. Yeah. And next up, Rudy Can't Fail. 
It's another ska song. And for the listeners who are unaware of what ska means, Connor. Mm-hmm. So ska is uh, a genre of music, of course, and it originated in Jamaica in around the 1950s. And it's a, a combination of reggae, which is original to Jamaica, and rock steady, which is another genre associated with the southern music. And it's kind of characterized by horns, a walking bass line, and sort of offbeat rhythms. That's, I guess, the musical definition of it, and also a lot of checkered patterns. <laughs> and you know what I like about it is... Uh, what happened in England in the late 1970s, the Commonwealth and all the, all the islands that they touched and Africa, they did that as under the Commonwealth per se, but those people also were welcomed to England and they came to the cities of England and, and were uh, you know, immigrants, if you will, and there was a lot of chaos going on and the British people uh, were uh, upset that these immigrants were coming and taking over their streets. And the Clash recognized that. And with this song, when they started going into the reggae side, it was bringing those roots for the people of England that they would see on the streets. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I find things like these, where you have a ska-influenced punk rock song, some of the coolest things in music, that cross-cultural pollination is just some of the most unique and interesting things. It's happened a few times when there's just genre crossovers that you would never think of saying. Like, I mean, the best that comes to mind is the band Fishmans, which is a band originated in Japan that made dream pop that also would also can um, considered to make something called dub music, which also originated in Jamaica, which is very bass heavy and sometimes with the lyrics cut out. So. That cross-cultural pollination is just something super incredibly cool. And next up, Spanish Bombs. Mm -hmm. And uh, this song depicts the uh, Spanish Civil War. And you're quite the history buff. Yes. So tell us a little bit about Spanish Bombs. So uh, Spanish Bombs, of course, depicts the Spanish Civil War, as he said. And the Spanish Civil War was, I guess, sort of a precursor to the European front of World War II. And what happened, just, I guess, in layman terms, is you had Franco, who was the fascist dictator of Spain, be, uh, take hold of Spain. And then you would have uh, far, I wouldn't say far left, but you would have a liberation front who fought the power. And there were, and then you had member uh, places like, the United Kingdom and Germany help on different sides. So it sort of served as a precursor to the European theater, as in you would have you it was just this ideological struggle between fascism and freedom, which served which is basically essentially what happened for the entirety of the war. It was very unique and a very underappreciated moment in history that it's sadly rarely taught in schools and then so, yeah so what you're saying is this punk band the clash mm -hmm. were speaking geopolitical uh poetry to the world to let them know about what was going on yeah yeah it can be interpreted as that it was 
London Calling is very much an incredibly political album, and it gets far more political later on. But it's they've never been one to shy away from geopolitics, but it's always articulated incredibly well, especially com- uh, comparatively to some other punk rockers. And um, next one is completely different. They just switch from different songs and different topics, and they do it so well. Is the song The Right Profile? This song is about Montgomery Cliff and its tragic downfall. It is incredibly well-written with effortless depictions of what happened to Montgomery. Who was the main songwriter for the band? Was it more Mick Jones or their frontman, Joe Strummer? Well, you know, they wrote a lot together. And I always try and think which songs I like the best and figure out who, which writer I like the best. Um, I would have to say, ah, that's, I, I like the way Joe Strummer sings, but I think I like uh, Mick Jones' lyrics, uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I see that. I'm, I'm not as experienced as a clashologist, so... I, I wouldn't know the depi- distinctions, but that's similar to, I guess, when the, the Beatles, you, you can tie it all back. Who was the best songwriter? Who is everybody's favorite? It's George Harrison or John Lennon or Paul McCartney. So, I Well, Ringo made more money writing songs than any of them. I didn't know that. That's, I, I just heard that the other day, if, if that fact is true. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm a big Ringo fan. I think he's, he's definitely aged the best. Yeah. He's still unique. But back to The Clash, I think if I were to say, I believe when researching this episode, Joe wrote the majority of the songs, but I could be wrong. Next on the... Um, Next on the docket, per se, is Lost in the Supermarket. This song is about how Joe Strummer feels lost in a hyper-commercialized world. And you know what? We're going to contribute to that. Tell me about Defeat. Why should people buy from you? We make socks out of recycled water bottles right here in North Carolina. We manufacture the socks in North Carolina, USA. And our socks are specifically designed for cyclists and runners and hikers. And why they should buy those socks, because we make the most incredible performance sock with long-lasting goodness and value. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, yeah, yeah, okay, go on. Sorry. So uh, Clamp Down. Can we talk about Clamp Down? Uh, I was just going to say one last thing okay, first. Sure. This is, um, I mean, that was sort of satirical, but I really do need to commend Defeat. I've worn Defeat all my life. It's what I love wearing when I hike and when I bike and do really anything athletic. It keeps my feet nice and not rashy or itchy or bad. So I, um, I, I, Defeat socks are great. I really enjoy wearing them. So back to what you were saying. Well, yeah, well, clamp, let's move on to Clamp Down, the next song. It's, uh, one of the more complex songs that juggles uh, the themes of oppression, capitalism, fighting the status quo and fascism. You know, many, many people write this uh, clash is, is not punk. And uh, do you think they are? I, yes, I 100% think they are punk. They very much had punk roots. I think punk purists write them off because they, unlike a lot of punk bands, 
experimented and they pushed their sound forward and they were remain they were able to remain not only commercially successful but also critically successful which they struck the right balance while other punk bands lived for a few years and then died off because they weren't able to change yeah yeah well who do you think's the best punk band i um wow uh, r- I think of all time, it would probably have to be, commercially, it's The Clash, definitely. But I think from an artistic point of view, it might have to be television. I think Uh. television made some really interesting stuff. Marky Moon simultaneously balanced punk and being post-punk at the same time with songs like the title track and Friction. So television and uh, I... I, I think an argument can also very much be made for The Clash. They're easily the most successful punk band. They expanded their sound. They had multiple great releases with their debut, London Calling, um, Combat Rock, and Sandista. So I think it's up to personal preference, in my opinion. Uh, what's your thought? Well, television, beautiful. In fact, I feel television were more the... I know that they've got them registered in the genre of punk, but I, I feel that they were the gr- godfather of New Wave. Uh, I feel that uh, uh, the Cars, if you listen to the Cars and you listen to television, it's almost like boom. But I go to Iggy Pop and I go to the Ramones and we talk about Raw, the, the Ramones just brought it to I read a book and I highly recommend this book and it's written by all the musicians of the day and it's called please uh, please kill me and it's about punk rock and so in that book it talks about the history but it's through the words of the the musicians and the Ramones were going to Europe and or in in London and they were playing at a facility there and they walked backstage and they saw a gang and they were afraid for their lives. And if you can think of the Ramones in their leather jackets, they're getting ready to go on stage and they see this gang and they go, whoa. And the gang said, hey, we're the Clash. And we want to know when we should come out of the garage and start playing our music. We don't feel that we're good enough yet. And uh, I guess Joey Ramone said, hey, you know, you're as good as you're going to be. Just get out and do it. And there you go. You know, the Clash of the Ramones met in a back alley. Just just an interesting tidbit. That's really interesting. I, uh, and if we really want to go for a very loose definition of punk when it go, goes against counter, goes against the grain, very unique, something that is deliberately, I guess, anti-establishment, anti what the traditional music sense is, then oddly enough, there's no band that I think that was more punk, hear me out, than Steely Dan and this in the in the 70s. They were because the 70s definitely had a move towards very pop rock, very um very I guess manufactured stuff. And Steely Dan, I, I'm I'm if you can't tell, I'm quite a big Steely Dan fan, but there is there's merit to say that they were in their own sense, at least aesthetically and uh, rhetorically punk. Okay, I've got to interrupt you. <laughs> yes, I, I've got to say, please okay, do. Steely Dan, I love them. And yes, you can put them in that genre, and I like it. However, you have to put a slash and put punk jazz because yes. there's a, you, you can't. Oh, yeah. 100%. It's not punk rock. I mean, oh, 100%. <laughs> I agree. And I think 
punk has its offshoots in a bunch of different places. Like you had the punk, the the Western punk movement, the California punk movement with like Black Flag yeah. and Descendants, which I I love Descendants. I need to listen to more Black Flag. Then you had like some German um, art punk and some. Um, I, I guess t- tangents from Krautrock with bands like Einstein de Neubauten. So I, punk is very much more of a spirit than very tightly defined genre. And I think that's very unique. Yeah. In, in the book, Please Kill Me, it talks about the formation and it goes to Jim Morrison and the Doors. It goes through Iggy Pop. It goes to um, uh, MC5. And it that, that genre where it... it kind of bumps into the Ramones at CB, CBGB. I, I, yes, thank you. I, I, I'm dyslexic and I see these letters all over the place. Uh, but anyway, that bar is kind of where the word punk came from. There was a magazine called Punk and they would go to the bars and write about music and that's where that name came from. Punk, in the, in the, if you look the definition up, of the day meant a, a gay uh, young boy as the punk and maybe on a ship per se, uh, a peg boy or whatever you want to call it. But that's kind of where that name came from. Next up is the Guns of Brixton, which is an incredibly reggae-inspired track. Guns of Brixton is an urgent protest song calling for the armed resistance of police. It's funny how history has a way of repeating itself. Punk music and its culture have always been inextricably linked with rebellion and anti-establishment politics. You and I come from completely different periods of time and background, I want to hear what your opinion is on the current unrest going on in America. Wow. Um, hmm. America. You know, uh, my family emigrated from England when I was uh, four for uh, better opportunities. And uh, America back then, uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, was an incredible place of opportunity. and as I said earlier about keeping defeat in America when I started it, I'm a proud American. And some people say uh, entrepreneurs and uh, especially uh, immigrant on- entrepreneurs are uh, deeply seated with, with patriotism of their new country. I became a citizen in, uh, about the same year that The Clash did their album, uh, London Calling. And today's political environment breaks my heart. And, you know, I'm not going to lean either way. I just, it's it's gone too far either way. And I just hope America finds a way to come back to the middle. Because I think if we all look at it, I boiled it down with my wife one day when we were on a bike ride. And I said, you know, our safety and and, uh, as, as a country and our freedom is all up in the air right now. And I said, how do we make a stance? And... The best thing I could come down to was we need law and order, but we need liberty and justice for all people. And if we could all just look at that, either side that you're on and just find it within your heart, you know, love is the road to to freedom and happiness. Um, And I just hope that America can find that again. And that unrest, if you look back through history or watch The Crown, you'll see England was going through that at this particular point in time. Uh, I used to go back to England during the summer, and you know we would judge the price of the British pound versus the U.S. dollar in Levi's prices. It's amazing what people were 
pay for an American product back then. And so when I look at this, I look at it as a national pride of product. So if I think of, you know, uh, Apple, uh, any American product that, that we talk about that's extremely high end, that's what I think people want to believe America is. And, and not that America is a product, but it's the byproduct of a good government that enables companies to be able to be successful through capitalism. Mm-hmm. And that's just my opinion, And uh, but I'm very sad for America right now, but I'm very, very hopeful. That is just a great response. Thank you for really opening up. I I agree. I think it's sad to see the amount of political polarization going on right now. It's America is America. It's amazing. And yeah. Well, I was just going to add something. If, if you're. Oh, yeah. If, yeah. Oh, about the about the well, writing. Yeah. Of, well, th- we're talking about capitalism and in, in the music biz, you know, if you write a song or if you publish a song and then you're getting the profits from that song with the record company and the band musicians starve, you know, and I believe on this song, Paul, uh, the bass player, Simonon, I think so. Simonon. Yeah. Uh, he, he wrote he actually wrote this song. Uh, to make sure they got paid. I mean, that's a great, great move. That's actually super interesting. That bring, that reminds me, I um, if completely tangentially, the rapper Nas, he's very famous from New York. He, he labeled his daughter uh, as the executive producer for one of the album, one of his albums. So she continually gets royalty checks every. A year from that album, which is just a brilliant move for, for from him for his children. I, I find that really interesting. Uh, the next song is uh, "Wrong Um Boyo." I, I I find it pretty unsubstantive. It's going over the classic folk tale of Stagger Lee, but I want to go on a tangent. I feel like we haven't gone on enough of them yet. <laughs> um, it's a little game I would like to call Punk or Poser. I name some bands. You tell me if you think they're punk or not. It's going to start off pretty easy. The Sex Pistols. Attitude. <laughs> Do you think they're punk? Uh, yeah, they're, they're punk. Definitely punk. I mean, I know they're, I know they're manufactured, but uh, definitely punk. Mm-hmm. All right. Television. As I said earlier, I, I struggle with calling them punk because they were they were refined, and I would I would have to say it, it's not poser because they're so incredible. I would say new wave. I, I know that's not an answer, but they're mm-hmm. not punk. I would say um, I guess new wave and post punk are kind of the same genre, but just on a level of commercialization and the use of electronics and uh, I guess production. I would say that. Um, television is simultaneously punk and post-punk which doesn't make sense but they their sound was so influential on acts like joy division on acts like gang of four acts like early talking heads i would say they were proto post-punk even though they were also punk yeah yeah and i hear you but you know we just went through all these incredible uh feelings of emotion for geopolitical civil unrest and in my opinion for what it's worth, the the new wave was more romantic. It's almost like early emo, if you will. And so it seems like Joy Division and all those bands were a little bit more on that side of things. And so maybe they they focused in on uh, the love side of things in, in a different way. So maybe I'm looking at it at context. 
yeah. of, of what they're writing about. I, I would say definitely for some, and we'll go on, we'll get down sure. to those later, but uh, I, I definitely think Joy Division is wholeheartedly post-punk. They're the post-punk band when it comes to comparative uh, unknown pleasures, in my opinion, is the greatest post-punk album. Um, Peter Hook's Icy Bass Line and... Um, it's icy bass lines and they're very dark and dark lyricism it's just i guess the epitome of post-punk but onto the next band wire i gotta raise my hand and oh, yeah, show yeah, yeah. my age i'm not sure if i i know why tell me a little bit about okay wire. so um wire kind of rides the line between rock and punk rock i'm not sure uh wire i guess uh, was around the time of uh, of I'm you you probably have heard some of their songs because they were around the time of the Clash and of the Ramones and of the Sex Pistols. They weren't as well known, but they have great works like Chairs Missing, which is definitely post punk. But Pink Flag is a hundred percent punk rock. It's and where are they from? They're from London, England, I okay. believe. So Sorry, I, I miss them. Yeah. Oh, well, I, they're a great band. They're very underrated. So listen to Wire. This isn't sponsored to them, but if you guys are interested, please sponsor me. I love you guys. Anyways, <laughs> um, Joy Division, do you think they're punk? Going back to my last statement, uh, I, and I, after your explanation, I will say punk. Mm-hmm. All righty. Next up, Talking Heads, punk or not? I love the Talking Heads, and uh, I, their story is is brilliant. And Tina's bass lines are just, you know, some of the best in the business. And she knows when not to play. <laughs> I'm gonna say punk. Damn it. <laughs> I I I think their early work is a hundred percent rooted in punk. Stuff yeah. like '77 is very uh, raw and brutal. And more songs about buildings and food. Is definitely sort of punk rock, almost post-punky. But one, um, Brian Eno, who um, is now an ambient composer, but it was, I guess, the biggest composer of the uh, producer of the '70s. He joined on to the Talking Heads after their debut for more songs about buildings and food, fear of music, and their momentous "Remain in Light." And that's when they really became a new wave band. They started experimenting with genres like Afrobeat and uh, Krautrock. So I think they started out punk and changed to New Wave. And I, I could totally do an entire episode all about Brian Eno because he started out as the keyboardist for Roxy Music. Mm-hmm. He then went solo and made three of some of the highly highest regarded art rock albums of the 70s. Then he produced for acts like Talking Heads, um, and David Bowie and yeah. David Bowie's Berlin trilogy. And then he was just sort of did whatever he wanted. He produced for Coldplay down in the 2000s. He produced for some other acts in the 90s that just. I think it was REM, maybe. Maybe he worked with REM. Uh, I think. I, I, I forget. I need to check. But there's he's produced so many massive albums. All right. The next act, um, probably the. Most out there is Ein Stoisende Neubauten. Do you know a thing about them? They're Please don't make me repeat what you just said, but uh, no, I do not know anything about them, but I've got to hear. you got to tell right. me. Maybe so I need to be listening. I, they're one of the most abrasive bands I've heard. They're very loud. They, um, 
were kraut rock, but also they became very much industrial and sort of just a very artful punk form. So the industrial movement can be highlighted to um, an English band in the 70s called Throbbing Gristle. And then industrial just proliferated everywhere. And no place took it, I guess, with more open arms than the melting pot of German music, Krautrock. And Einstoisende Neubauten kind of formed there, and they have a very unique sound. I need to listen to them more myself, but they're very abrasive. I would say they're kind of punk in a television way, where mm-hmm. very, I guess, art punk to say, to put a tag on it but they're very industrial and then industrial really got famous in the 90s with of course nine inch nails but um this is this podcast isn't about industrial so i would say they are sort of punk but also they're very much industrial that is their genre next band stooges definitely punk in my opinion I, i i agree i think their iggy pop is just so raw he's his vocal performance is insane. It's one of a kind. It's uh, Iggy Pop is just such an iconoclast in in that period of time. I, I would a hundred percent agree. Finally, Fugazi. What do you think? Um, I'm going to take. I'm going to plead the fifth on that one again. I. I, I, I it's all right. Yeah. So I would say they're they formed from the DC post hardcore scene and the DC post hardcore scene is one of the most tight knit and coolest um, times in music that not enough people know about post hardcore is from I mean anatomically it's using hardcore instrumentation to create something more than hardcore it's very emotive it's very emotional and the dc post hardcore scene actually birthed the emotional hardcore scene which is shortened to emo core or emo music so they're i guess proto emo but the thing about fugazi that is so punk they're a hundred percent rooted in punk is their diy they maintained a very diy style it's like they never charged more than like five dollars a ticket their front man made sure everybody was welcome. They didn't, he didn't like moshing. So everybody had was welcome to their parties. They have, they recorded all of their live performances. They have an archive that you can listen to. There were all stringent vegans because they respected the environment. They once actually had a March on Washington and performed a concert right in front of the white house, which is just, so unique and fugazi is one of the greatest most underrated bands of all time just for how dedicated they were to themselves very unique very interesting i find them super cool can we add one to this list yes please do let me ask you one yeah Uh, pussy riot yes definitely i haven't listened to them a lot but they are right now one of the I, i i mean they are they keep they're the biggest voice of dissent that people know about to Moscow. It's very brave of them, especially in a nation that censors speech as badly as them. Uh, 100% very punk, I approve a lot. <laughs> Great for them. So, um, I, I, it's... And, and next, what uh, death, death or Glory, uh, the songs about adulthood and complications and responsibilities for, uh, from a teen... 
And uh, from a team's perspective, are you excited to become an adult? You know, are you worried? What are your thoughts about all this with this crazy political front that we're on and the world in which you're inheriting? <laughs> so I, um, th funny you say that. I really want to major in political science. I find this whole fiasco, I find politics very interesting. But just in line with becoming an adult, I, I, I guess I'm... It, it's inevitable. No one can stay a kid forever. So it's better to accept it and get ready for it than live in denial. But I'm, I'm excited. I think it's, I'm, I'm a so not a sophomore. I'm a junior in high school. So I got to start applying to colleges and, um, it's, it's a moment in time. I, it's going to happen. So better be ready for it. Well, you know, when Paul smashes his bass across the stage like he did, you know, that's kind of that feeling where you're in that next step going into the, you know, the adulthood and, and the responsibilities that come with it. So you're doing well. You Thank just you. Keep, keep going. Next up is uh, Coca-Cola, which is just such a great name. Whether the song is about Coke or about Coke is up to the listener to distinguish. However, either way, Joe Strummer weaves in themes of homogeny of both the substances throughout the deceptively smart song. It also serves as a critique of business culture. As an expert, what are your thoughts on business culture? Is it toxic? Is it good? Is the, I guess, stereotypical view of business culture would be something from like The Wolf of Wall Street or Mad Men and I know that's televised or made for movie and directed by Martin Scorsese. What's what's your take on it? Yeah. Wow. You know, being a uh, a founder of a business in America, which we've gone over, and 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 when you start to look at the pol geopolitical situation right now and the commercialism right now, when you say Pepsi or you say Coke, um, you know, you're saying Republican or Democrat because of the 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 uh, the woke capital that is uh, leading uh, the USA right now, uh, which again has two sides, uh, you know. But if you compare that to communist capital, which is China, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of uh, to say about that. But then the segue would be, you know, cryptocurrency capital. And so when I start to take a look at capitalism in America and everything's bought and sold and you've got the Levi's Stadium you know where they play football or or you hire some athlete to come to your college to play basketball and uh, make money but you don't allow them to go on to uh, a profession at that young of an age and you know there's so many complicated and com complex things about our culture in which we uh, are in right now uh, and so if you look at punk rock in my opinion that's why I'm still excited about it because when I started defeat it was against the major corporations that were out there making those decisions to go to China and rape and pillage the land and environment in which we are and defeat chose a different path and we chose to follow Jacques Cousteau and Yvonne Chouinard from from uh, Patagonia and keep the planet in mind as we start to do this but that is still making money on you know capitalism so i'm thankful we can do it uh but we it, we have a long way to go i that's a great response i definitely think the current economic system we have right now is i want to say it's the best we got but it's definitely it can be reformed but i think 
through it's definitely better than collectivism and oh what because china really can no longer be considered a communist nation they're i guess collective capitalists or national capitalists it's very unique because there's still some autonomy in their markets yet it's all overseen by a central governing authority but it uh, it only works due to the fact that one they have high numbers and two they have very they they have their nations gripped by the balls basically you, there's no there's a lot of suppressed freedoms that just it ethically it's not good so i think um what we have here it's is it perfect no can it be made better yes but is it better than i guess the other major world power a hundred percent and the next song i'd like to dedicate to your dad because your dad and i truth be told are in a little club together that play cards every now and then the card cheat it's got you know the the the, the lyrics are typically um you know about the ills of modern society the most distinct part of the song is is the massive sound. It was produced by, uh, I think it was Gary Stevens. Can you tell me a little bit about Gary Stevens? Uh, yes, Guy Stevens. Oh, it's, sorry. Okay, no, no, yeah. no worries. It's uh, but the entire album was produced by Guy Stevens, and by all accounts, this guy was crazy upon crazy upon crazy. He made Brian Wilson look <laughs> like uh, David Attenborough, just. <laughs> He was insane, but like there were there were stories of him pouring bottles of wine on a piano while it's being played to bring out the essence of it. That was true. <laughs> he definitely had a, a slight bit of a drug problem, but it worked. What he did was able to very much capture the emotions in the studio. So, I mean, the ends in this turn time justified the means and another interesting thing about the recording of this album is um they 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 weren't meshing properly they didn't like how it was going so they went uh before recording a lot of the times they went and played soccer or football for until they were tired super tired and then they would record and bang out a few songs and it would work with Guy Stevens doing crazy stuff. There are like reports of him throwing microphones across the studio. He was very unique of an individual. <laughs> and then the next song is Lover's Rock, which is another very boundary-pushing song at the time. Strummer discusses the issue of female birth control in a very tasteful way, surprisingly, for the time and for punk rock. Starting off, uh, it's the final stretch of the album. What is your favorite song off of this album in general? Favorite song? Hmm. Well, I, I got to go with uh, Train in Vain. I don't know why. I, I, in fact, as I mentioned, our band played that song, and the bass line to me is just absolutely gorgeous, and the way they come together as a band. Uh, so that's why I like that song so much. Mm -hmm. So uh, next would be the, the Four Horsemen, a song about, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I'm giggling because it, it's almost, you know, you're talking about the Four Horsemen here, you know, the apocalypse, you know, war, death, famine, and uh, 
pestilence. Yeah, I don't know that word. <laughs> it's all right. <clears throat> so, what, what do you think most? What What do you think the most apocalyptic part of this album would be? What What sound? What song? Uh, definitely London Calling. It's it has very eerie guitars with uh, Joe Strummer's voice being uh, having an effect on it. This very, uh, I guess, wubby effect. It, and I guess also uh, the theme of the song about how the world will end. It's very, very apocalyptic. Yeah. Why do you think the Olympics used that when the Olympics came to London? Did you uh, did you know when the Olympics I, came to London? They I used was that? probably uh, <laughs> if that was the 2012 Olympics, I was like probably 11 yeah I, I i didn't know that i actually. had to scratch my head that on was, that I, I, that I mean you telling me that's really that's incredibly stupid <laughs> that's like playing hey ya by outcast at a wedding i i've I'm, I'm i mean it's it's a stadium hit it's one of the greatest rock songs or punk rock songs ever made but they need a new playlist guy <laughs> But and back to the songs about the apocalypse. I, I think, um, I think, London Calling is particularly a pretty apocalyptic album. But I don't think it's the most apocalyptic and terrible, the world's ending sounding album. If I were to choose the most apocalyptic sounding album. There's, I guess, from lyrical content, it would have to be Pure Comedy by Father John Misty. It's a loosely based concept album about, like, a singer-songwriter from the future talking about the ills of modern society. Father John Misty, he worked with Fleet Foxes. He's one of the best songwriters of all time and definitely the best who's currently still releasing music. But from the sense of production and how it sounds... I would have to do go with any of uh, Swan's releases from the 2010s. Swan's was uh, part of the no wave scene, which formed in New York as a reaction to new wave. And it featured b- bands and musicians like Sonic Youth, Swan's, and Glenn Brancha. But Swan's remained producing music and it's just very droney it's they've been described as the loudest band on earth and um they released three now four albums they broke up in the 90s and then they came back together in 2012 for their album the seer followed it up in 2014 with their album to be kind which is notable because uh the very famous music critic Anthony Fantano gave it a perfect score, which is one of five albums to ever do so. And then they released The Glowing Man in 2016. And all of those just sound so loud. They sound droney. They have these very dissonant chords. It's and there. There's none, I don't believe, under two hours long. So you really get a sense and escape of how loud and how... It, it, I guess it just categorizes desperation and just the first one is supposed to be a representation of before humans, very animalistic to be kind is about humanity and how evil and the things we do. And then the glowing man is what is after humanity. So it's, 
I guess unique, very loud, very apocalyptic, and um, incredibly good. So sounds terrifying. It's very terrifying. I, I I don't listen. I'm very rarely in the mood to listen to swans. How do you get in the mood to listen to that? That's something. It just happens. <laughs> so um, the next song is again they just flip-flop from a bunch of different things it's incredibly balanced that way but the next song is called i'm not down it's a powerful song about uh well pushing through hardships no matter how hard it gets typical inspirational music that doesn't make it bad though anyways completely tangentially i love saying that word um you have always been a very huge proponent of cryptocurrency. I've talked to you about investing a while, and I've recently started investing myself. I find the technical side quite interesting. Why did you get into it? Well, it does have to do with music, I would say. But uh, a dear friend of mine, Paul Willerton, a former bike racer and business partner and just a brilliant person, came over to my house one day and said, hey, uh, check this thing called Bitcoin out. I started looking at it, you know, this, this money that could be transferred from phone to phone. And I said, I got to have one of those. And I think they're $100 each at the time. And so I traded him a stereo for one Bitcoin. That stereo cost me $119. So he got, he thought he got a good deal. And today, as we're taping this, or uh, I think Bitcoin's $53,000. Um, so that was my first beginning of it, and then I, I was really awakened to it. And one day I sent my Bitcoin back to Paul by mistake, and he wouldn't give it back. And he was showing me how, how important the security was, and we almost came to fisticuffs over this Bitcoin. And he finally gave it back, and I learned a very valuable lesson. And of course, next came Ethereum. And now we're on to the uh, decentralized finance and DeFi, and the whole world is, is, is taking notice now. And we're at this incredible juncture. And when you start talking about geopolitical uh, situations and, and, and uh, central banks and gold and silver, and then you start to throw in Bitcoin and fiat currencies, and all of a sudden you've got a war on your hands and you've got a war against the establishment and what better punk rock financial connection would be bitcoin ethereum you name it uh-huh i a hundred percent agree and i i recently i mean it started out i thought it was honestly like i saw behind the memes and all the jokes i invested in dogecoin uh, in February, when it was trading at seven cents, I invested. Uh, I invested a good amount for my age, and now it's trading. If I check, it's trading at sixty-five cents, and it's only going to go up. Uh, researchers are expecting it. Like I think Fortune or Forbes said, Bitcoin. I mean, Dogecoin hitting a dollar is inevitable at this point. Which it's it's funny because Dogecoin, from like an analytical point of view, should be worthless because uh, if you don't know, a coin itself is just a representation of the I guess the market cap divided by the amount of coins is what each coin is worth, 
And since Dogecoin has no, is one of the, it's the highest market cap coin that doesn't have a upper limit to the amount of coins minted. It's basically dividing by infinity, which is zero, no matter how high the market cap is. Yet it keeps on going up. It's just kind of a very unique, I guess, social experiment to see how hard can people on Twitter push the <laughs> currency up without it labeled market manipulation. Yeah. Well, uh, well uh, Elon Musk is going on Saturday Night Live, if they let him on this Saturday. Oh, he is. He is. He they, is. I heard the cast were boycotting it. But anyway, if he gets on, he's going to pump it again. And it was started as a, a meme joke. And, uh, you know, you you talk it that it doesn't have a, a cap on how many can be minted or made or, 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 or uh, mined. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin on the other side of the flip is 21 million are ever going to be made. And I think something like 18 million have been found made so far and only 16 million are in, in existence if I were 15 million because of lost mm -hmm. coins, yeah. because people didn't know the value of them. So anyway, uh, just to interject that a little bit there. Oh, Coach, I, I, I have... Uh, a couple of uh, Doge coins, Doge coins, Doge coins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, one more thing while we're on this crypto thingy. What is your take? This is a another brand new, even more emergent thing than Dogecoin, NFTs, non fungible tokens. Uh, yeah. What's your, What's your thought on them? That's a great segue because musicians and artists can use uh, NFTs to to capture more part of the market. So I, I just saw, uh, not, not that I'm a fan, but I just saw Kings of Leon yes. came out with an album and they tied it to NFTs. And you can do it in so many different creative ways. But what that means is they're buying a place on the blockchain with a smart contract for an album. And then any time that sells, they can, they, could, they can profit from it as the creators. And so every time it, an NFT sells, the original creator gets 10%. Mm -hmm. And I know musicians that I talked about earlier that, you know, uh, we're not the songwriter. And when a song plays on the radio, they get a small cut. Uh, and I follow some of those guys on social media and they, they find more money running on the road like they're marathon runners or whatever than they do from their residual checks. Even though some of the songs that I could mention, you've heard on the radio and, you know, one of the musicians that wasn't the songwriter didn't get his cut. So this NFT thing, I think it's going to take a lot of people out of work you know, that, that have been raping and pillaging. And that goes from uh, real estate, in my opinion, uh, all the way through to uh, music and art. I agree. And I, this is less confirmed, but there are a lot of people saying that, oh, NFTs are terrible for the environment. They produce a lot of... Uh, CO2 and I I mean I believe they do but also I definitely think that idea has been proliferated by people who are wanting to stop decentralized yes, stuff correct it's obviously like those same people are aren't focusing on the very big environmental issues like <laughs> like oil companies and such so I find that just I guess a slap in the face and it's so obvious that people pushing that idea are very much anti or, or pro-establishment. Well, when, the, the central banks are, are, you know, pushing the, the use of cryptocurrency as being, you know, uh, drugs and, uh, you know, illegal activity and money laundering and everything. But when it comes down to it, the number one, the number one 
way to get away with something is to use the U.S. dollar and pay in cash. You know, with cryptocurrency, you can follow the 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 exchange on a publicly available spreadsheet called Ethereum all the way back the to ledger. the beginning. Yeah, the yeah. ledger, right. Yeah. yeah. So um, next song is Revolution Rock, which is another cover. They had these covers and they just flipped them on their heads, which was just another just sort of F you to what was happening. This is now, that was then, and this is how we're going to classify it. Um, who are your favorite bands in general? doesn't have to be punk. And then also, what's your favorite punk band? Well, my favorite band, I would have, <laughs> I'd have to say early U2. Uh, I really liked you too. That's uh, what it was. Brian Eno produced the Joshua Tree. Uh, that's what, that's it was. what. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and that that particular album was in, an incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you two would be my favorite band, uh, and you know they kind of made fun of fame with Zuropa and all those things that they went through. Um, but I thought they had a great message. You know their songs were 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 brilliant uh, in many ways and. Uh, Party Girl would probably be my favorite song uh, by those guys. But uh, then my favorite punk band is is a tie. It's a tie between the Ramones and the Clash, and I don't know how to separate that tie. I I I understand. I see that. I a lot of people in the I guess pretentious music community hate U2, and early U2 is one of those hills I will die on musically. I I very much enjoy early U2 stuff. They uh, they produced very raw emotional rock that was also very commercially successful and a lot of people hated them for it like the joshua tree war um boy were all just phenomenal albums it was very raw very and um the help from brian you know was evident and if i were to say um my favorite bands and punk bands i would say my favorite band of all time is Radiohead if you know me in person that's about 20% of my personality but um, I would say definitely it's definitely my favorite band I've listened to them the most by a pretty large margin but I would say my favorite punk band would probably be uh, out of bands that are still producing music today it would have to be Parquet Courts. They released a great album in 2018 called Wide Awake, which was very, very just punk. Uh, I mean, it's just pure punk. Uh, also, Titus Andronicus is great. But of all time, it's either Parquet Courts or The Clash. Yeah. Have you heard uh, Bad Religion? The band? Yeah. Very little of them, but I know of them. Yes, you should you should check them out. Uh, their their singer is a PhD, I think Ivy League, um, and they're an older band, of course. Uh, great great live show, full of, full energy. Um, I really like those guys. What mm-hmm. about Against Me? Have you ever? Uh, I have heard of them, but also I have not listened to them. Oh, I forgot to mention, I also am a big fan of Descendants. But yeah. Um, and there's a lot of very brilliant people that you would never suspect in music. Like um, a few, like I could definitely point out, Frank Zappa had a measured IQ of 173, <laughs> which is insane. Like to put that in perspective, Einstein had around 140. 
Uh, the Unabomber had around 160. Frank Zappa had 173. Wow. And then uh, some other ones, Brian May, Queen guitarist, has a PhD in astrophysics, yeah. which is unique. And then one that not a lot of people know is the band Vampire Week Weekend, which is a very poppy band. I, I, I think they're one of the better bands still that are releasing music today. All of the members are Columbia grads, wow. which is quite unique. They formed at Columbia. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, Ezra Koenig, their front man, I believe is a literature major and it shows. Hmm. So that, I mean, quite just great. Um, just there's some very, very brilliant people in music. So uh, finally, their last song on the album, Train in Vain which is a masterful punk statement. It's a fusion of punk and pop, I would say, but not like the traditional pop punk as you would think. So uh, just a little backstory on the song itself before we get to the questions. Um, the, it was actually, the if you get an original pressing of uh, London Calling, it, Train in Vain won't show People originally thought that, oh, because they were afraid because they went pop on this, they didn't want to show that. But actually, it was so close to, um, they finished the song right when it finished pressing. The album art and the album cover were done. They couldn't change it. And uh, furthermore, just about the album itself, I find really interesting. Um they the clash argued for their label to sell a double album for the price of a single album and their label of course said no that's absurd so they were able to negotiate an album with a bonus ep and they were able to fit the entire second half of the album on that ep and achieve their goal of two for the price of one essentially but um on to this question um uh, London Calling itself is pretty universally regarded as their greatest accomplishment as a band. What is yours as a person? That's a very deep question, but that is deep, and I would have to say my children. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, as a as a parent, there's no more great achievement if if you can you know, uh, have the wonderful experience of, of producing other humans um, so that would be my number one uh, uh, greatest achievement I, I guess as a human and every day you're 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 challenged uh, with with the blessings of, of uh, you know the children you know and uh, challenges and mm -hmm. they really they're, they're the most important ever yeah, anything that you could ever do uh, now if if we were to say what's my, of course, creating a company from scratch um, and finding a woman that will marry you that is way smarter than you, <laughs> uh, go hand in hand and it, without my wife by my side who is the black and white of my uh, color, um, the 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 butter to my bread, if you will, and uh, I would have never been able to start Defeat, which is a, a, a wonderful achievement to, to create a company that is globally recognized as the leader in cycling. But, you know, producing children 
that is definitely the most incredible achievement in my opinion for me yes of course um so that ends the um i guess al- the track by track breakdown of this album now we're on to the closing thoughts and we can put a bow on it well uh Connor, do you think London Calling's the best album from 1979? I think it's in the top three. I would say my choices swap, but I would say the top three, and I guess some particular order, would be first place is, I guess, just from a stance of influence and from just masterfully of how reflective it is of the genre and just how long-standing it is. It's um, Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division. And we brought it up a lot, but... If you don't know, it's the squiggly line album shirt. But um, it's just a timeless album. I would say number two, but these flip all the time, is Off the Wall by Michael Jackson. It's, I'll say it, it's better than Thriller. It's Michael Jackson's at his best with arguably the greatest produced album of all time with Quincy Jones. Everything sounds so perfect. It sounds dated, but it sounds modern at the same time. Um, Michael's voice is just out of this world. So he's, I would say, and then London Calling, and then another album a lot of people hold up that I just, I would say most people would label it as the best, but I just can't get into it. I don't enjoy it. The Wall by Pink Floyd. It's the rock opera. It's the concept album. I, I don't enjoy it personally. I don't think it's in Floyd's top four, but I I definitely see merit to it. What a, uh, if you want to say something? Do you think it's the best album, uh, London Calling? Uh, yeah, I would give it. I would give it the best album. Um, a Georgia Division, I'd put in in the second place, and I would move Michael Jackson to the end of the list. Um, Simply because uh, now, when he was Jackson Five and he did, you know, a, you know, ABC and all that really fun Motown stuff, uh, when he was still a child before he was molesting children, uh, then I would put him in that role. Uh, but uh, then uh, the wall, yeah, the wall, the wall came with a movie, man. Come mm-hmm. on, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 it's, it might be just a time period thing. It might just be, I. I there's I've listened to it a lot. I just can't get into it. I, well, I don't know why. Have you done the uh, Dark Side of the Moon with the Wizard of Oz trick? I have not, but I've heard about it. You play it like twice, and it syncs perfectly. You play it to Wizard of Oz as the lion roars, and it's supposed to be a soundtrack for the whole movie. Uh, I haven't done it, but I want to do it. I do, too. That sounds yeah. really interesting. I've heard also it works with one of the Star Wars movies. Yeah, but um, I'm back onto your Michael Jackson comment. I can definitely see the validity in that, but there's also a lot of importance when it comes to separating the art from the artist. Like, there's proof. Obviously, Michael Jackson is a horrible, horrible person. He doesn't deserve any of what he gets anymore. His royalty should be distributed to helping children who are abused. But there's, I mean, there's a very few musicians who are super duper popular, also political figures who haven't done some pretty horrible stuff. Like another one that comes to mind, Morrissey. He's a white nationalist. He's horrible. But that doesn't discredit the fact that he made the queen is dead or meet his murder. It's There's a lot of, I, I mean, I think 
off the wall in a vacuum is just an amazing album regardless of what you think of the artist prince he was a super devout jehovah i believe he was homophobic but i'm not entirely sure Mm -hmm. so there a a lot of it comes down to um uh i guess obviously music is a very personal very subjective artist thingy so some people and there's no shame in it can't separate like the artist is inextricably linked to the art some people the art can be seen in a vacuum and like other modern interpretations like sun kill moon which is a singer-songwriter musician mark kozilek has gotten accusations of some pretty horrible stuff so i i mean i'm rambling at this point but i definitely think there's a lot of merit to what you said but there's also a lot of merit to you can look past what you you made a great point connor and it's very mature of you to look at it that way and i i I will you you taught me a lesson to the vacuum look at the art in a vacuum and you can say that about any politician yeah Mm -hmm. and um okay yeah uh uh, question for you i'll 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 ask this for you because i think you definitely have a lot more i guess weight in this answer do you think punk is dead that that's kind of a saying that's been going around punk's not dead punk is dead no no punk is not dead punk i see it all the time and you see it in uh you know the cryptocurrency movement you see it anytime there's a revolution every time there's civil unrest punk is still alive and it goes against the establishment in my mind it's youth it's angst and it's not dead no uh, yeah i think and if i were to answer this question i would definitely take it from a completely different point of view but i think punk as a spirit is ne- will never die it's just anti-establishment stuff has existed and forever will exist but punk rock punk music hasn't really had a great footing since the 80s and maybe the 90s if you were to look at there hasn't been a lot of great punk music released in this past decade if, but if you want two choices to get into modern punk, the two ones would definitely be Wide Awake by Parquet Courts, which is, I mean, I want to say spiritual successor, but it ha- deals with a lot of the themes of London Calling and the political unrest, but into the, it, it's an album built, born of the Trump era. It was made in 2018, I believe. So there's songs about climate crisis. There's songs about like, political instability and just insanity of what's going on there's a there there was a billionaire with no political experience in the white house and people were just lost their minds and then another one released in 2010 is the monitor by titus andronicus which is very loosely based on the civil war but it definitely has a very new jersey and american spirit it's i keep on i come back to it more than i do uh wide awake it's very it's loosely based on the civil war but it's very cohesive it sounds amazing the production is so raw it's it's produced like an early 2000 strokes album Hmm. which it's very raw it's very nice it's uh, check it out if you like great rock it even if you're just a fan of rock please you didn't listeners you guys would enjoy this a lot it's i would say in my top 20 for best albums of the decade easily and then uh 
What do you think is the best punk band of all time? Well, I guess to bring the one band that we haven't really even mentioned, uh, which kind of brought the attention that punk needed was the Sex Pistols. And, uh, you know, manufactured as they were, uh, you take a band and you put it in America and you, you put them in, you know, country western bars uh, as a, a promotional tour, what better place to just create a riot scene? And I, I think that whole manufactured piece, what was his name, Malcolm? The, the, produ the producer of the Sex Pistols, uh, can't remember his name, but anyway, the guy must have been a genius because mm -hmm. that really did get the attention that punk. Their punk producer or their manager? He's the manager. Their sorry. manager, the, the yeah, yeah. Clothing store guy. Yeah. yeah. I think. Which created a whole clothing movement. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't disagree. I think they definitely, I mean, the Ramones are credited with creating punk, but Sex Pistols definitely proliferated and made it more mainstream and made it definitely a lot more put it in your face i guess to say and a lot of that is definitely to their manager's success like having a great manager is incredibly important like for another example uh say what you want about him but jerry heller brought nwa from just a compton based band to the world stage and he did some very very shady and pretty horrible things but what he did for nwa cannot be denied so i think i guess less the sex pistols and more the sex pistols manager yeah <laughs> but true. I, I i i definitely think that and they also had i mean one especially fantastic album with never mind the bullocks here's the sex pistols so i i mean yeah i think they could definitely be considered the greatest punk band of all time yeah. One other uh, thought here. I, there's two bands that we've kind of uh, missed completely, and one would be early, early, early days. Uh, the New York Dolls, um, which which really trans uh, <laughs> transgendered. I'm sorry. It, it uh, you know they they dressed as as females. Drag. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, incredible incredible talent there and to get well while they were together and then the other one would have been the velvet underground oh my god how yeah. did we forget that i yeah. I, I changed my answer i think the velvet underground <laughs> they are I, I i mean i wouldn't say they were entirely punk i think they definitely are the experimental rock band yeah, but right. they had just amazing albums white light white heat Velvet Underground and Nico loaded. Mm -hmm. Lou Reed is just such a great front man. And they, they were just just the epitome of New York. Okay, and well, speaking of Lou Reed, you should read this book, Please Kill Me. I will. Because it will it will absolutely amaze you, and I promise it's going to disgust you. Oh. It is the most disgusting. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised anything that happened with the Velvet Underground. <laughs> they are... Um, they're experimental <laughs> like uh, the song sister ray if i mean i i guess that can be considered a musical dog whistle if you know what sister ray is about you know what i'm talking about they did not shy away from anything so i think uh, i mean I, I would have a hard time calling the velvet underground completely punk but they are definitely if they can if they're considered punk they're the best the velvet underground's amazing i think they were like the pre-punk it was like yeah, proto-punk yeah it was just creating it was in they they inspired it they inspired what was to come with the geopolitical 
things going on in, in England. I couldn't help to, to think if you watched the, the Netflix uh, series, The Crown. I haven't, but my mom is a very big fan. Yeah, it, it's a really good show. It goes all the way back. But it, mm -hmm. if you could listen to the Sex Pistols when The Crown is in that era, you know, 1960s, 1970s, when it was influencing, influencing these, the, the civil unrest in England, be great to... Dude. Yeah, anyway. like anarchy in the UK. And yeah, right. They, and God save the Queen. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, I, I mean, that's the end of the podcast. I really want to thank you so much, Shane Cooper, for coming on. You've been such a great, great guest. You know, you're well-researched. You know a lot about this. And you've been just, I, I can't stress how awesome you have been to talk to. So um, if you have anything to plug, anything about Defeat, now's your time, please. Uh, I guess I, I would just like to say Defeat is, 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 a, is a teamwork of about you know, 40 individuals and uh, incredible people that we have. Uh, and without that team, Defeat would not exist. And, and it's an incredible uh, brand and would love for people to visit our website at defeat.com and follow us on social media you know, Instagram uh, and Facebook of course but even better than that Connor Khan you are a gem dude thank you I really enjoyed uh, learning a lot from you and speaking with you uh, you're you're an incredible asset to this beautiful world in which we live that's much appreciated thank you thank you so much and now moving on finally to the announcement of our next episode. I talked about this man when I did my favorite songs and albums of the year. Uh, he's part of the experimental band Demon Cenep from Belgium. His name is Chad Levitt. I have contacted him and we are going to be breaking down Weezer's famous, or really I should say infamous, debut, The Blue Album, next on the Perfect Album podcast. Anyways... Thank you, everybody, for listening. It uh, means a lot for the donation of your time to my ears. So have a great day, and I will see you next time I do this.